This is the Intego Mac Podcast for November 29th, 2017. In this episode, we'll have important information on a recent Trojan Horse malware variant that uses new tricks to access and infect your computer and devices. Plus, tips on safeguarding your computer from uninvited physical access. The Intego Mac Podcast is presented by Intego, makers of security and utility software, exclusively for Apple products since 1997. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. You probably download a lot of software, don't you, Josh? Occasionally, yeah. And whenever there's a, a new app that looks really interesting, then yeah, I'll check it out. It's tempting to find something that may turn out to be a tool that you use, maybe a game that you'll play a lot if you're into games. You want to keep up on what's new. You don't want to be stuck with just the same old apps. Unfortunately, sometimes this can be dangerous. And just recently, there was a fake antivirus blog that was distributing malware. Can you explain this? This is this is a, a double-level fake, right? A fake blog on the one hand, and then they're distributing something which is a Trojan horse. Yeah, the latest version of this Proton malware. Proton is is some malware as a malware family that's uh, been around for a little while, and it's it's showed up in a few different forms. Typically, it, it's been showing up in um, in Trojan horses. So that's as we've kind of mentioned before on the show, a Trojan horse is software that pretends to do some particular thing that you expect it to do. Um, in fact, some in some cases, it actually is a legitimate program that's been infected and also does something else. In this case, this is just um, a program that claims to do something, claims to be from a particular developer that people will recognize, and then it actually does something else. It's not even um, a program that was developed by a legitimate developer and then infected. This is actually just something that pretends to be by a legitimate developer and turns out to not be. Right. In this case, it says that you're downloading something called Semantic Malware Detector. Semantic is a company that makes antivirus software. And they're one of the companies that's been around for a very long time. So even if you're not familiar with security software, you've probably seen the name Semantic someplace, and that's going to reassure you. But unfortunately, this just basically installs malware. And does it even pretend to scan your system? Well, there is a, a window that comes up, and um, when you when you first install this, if you were to download it from this fake semantic blog and install this fake semantic software that pretends to be by that company, what you would see is a dialog box would pop up that says, by clicking on check, there and there's a button that says check, you agree to send a non-identifying report to Semantic Incorporated to improve the heuristic engine. Authorization will be required to proceed. So they make it look like, oh yeah, okay, I I, I get it. Of course, they, they want uh, my details and that's why they're giving me software free. So people click check. And then that's when you get a dialog box that prompts you for administrative access. And that's where they really get you because now once you put in your your administrator password, now it can infect your entire system and not just your local user account. Before you put in your password there, that malware that you're running only has 
what you could kind of consider administrative rights over just your own account. But once you put in that password, that that administrator password, now the malware can in, embed itself deeply into the system. It can infect, you know, your whole operating system and everything. Right. Just a quick explanation. Mac OS or OS 10 uses multiple user accounts and each user is more or less sequestered from all the other users. So if you and I each have a user account on the same computer, I can access my files, you can access yours, but you can't get mine and I can't get yours. Unless one of us is an administrator, in which case they not only have the rights to eventually get into other users' folders and files, but also into the system itself, which let's be honest, most average users shouldn't be messing around with system files. Right. But this dialog box doesn't necessarily make that clear that that's exactly what's going on. I mean, this is a fairly common thing that when you're installing new software that you'll have to put in an administrator username and password. So unfortunately, this is a kind of dialog box that people would expect to see after they've installed new software or at the time of installation, usually. It's not uncommon. Yeah, because an administrator has to give permission to an app to be able to write in the system folders whenever it's installing anything that's outside of the user's folder or outside of that application's folder. You can always drag an application you've downloaded into the application's folder. But when it's installing things in other parts of the system, it needs authorization. So as you say, this is relatively common. It's worth noting that you won't see this with apps that you download from the Mac App Store. You'll generally never, you'll never see a password request, will you? Can an app from the Mac App Store then, when you launch it, say, I need to install something in the system and ask for a, a password? I don't think they're allowed to do that. No, I don't believe so, which is exactly why you typically don't see anything beyond, for example, an antivirus product um, in the Mac App Store. You won't see something that really can defend your whole system with active protection. You can you can install it for your own account, but it's not really going to affect any other accounts on, on your computer. It's, it can't get the same level of access that, uh, that you normally would be able to get with antivirus software. For that, That's just one example. Right. There'll be a link in the show notes to an article on the Intego blog about this particular malware, and there's some screenshots. It's worth pointing out that this isn't new. There have been some other apps recently that have been infected in similar ways. We don't know if it's the same people behind it or not. One of them was Transmission, which is a BitTorrent app that people use to exchange files. Another is Handbrake, which is a really popular app that people use to rip DVDs and convert video files. So what happened is someone broke into the servers that are run by these developers and added some, what we would call a payload, to the apps. So when you downloaded the apps, the malicious software would install. Now, we've often told people, download software from the original developer, not from these sites that list a million different apps to download. But clearly, that doesn't protect you that much more, does it? That's true. In the past, I, I used to recommend that people go to the developer's website to download software. There had been times in the past where sites such as, uh, you know, any, any popular download site where you can go and search for a particular type of software or or any particular software package and they would give you the the download link those kind of sites um don't they don't necessarily always have the best reputation and even ones that are very popular that a lot of people use have done some kind of sketchy things in the past where they've done things like bundling adware 
um, or, or other things like that that are just not really a good practice. And so I've kind of learned to not trust those download aggregation sites. And so for a while, I used to recommend to people to go to the developer website. Well, two different times in 2016, Transmission, uh, which is a popular BitTorrent client, was was compromised. Their download server, their actual download server was compromised on two separate occasions. And then um, back in May of this year, Handbrake, uh, their download server was also compromised. Handbrake is, uh, is video encoding software. And then uh, just uh, last month, we had uh, an incident where Ultima Software, which makes um, a couple of programs, El Media Player and Folks, those were were compromised as well. And again, it was it was the actual developer's download server that was compromised. So it's it's getting to the point now where it's difficult to really tell people, oh yeah, you should uh, you should download it from the developer because that's going to be the safest place. Evidently, a lot of developers are not really doing as good of a job as they should at securing their servers. I don't know whether it's they're using passwords that aren't very good to um, to secure their download servers or, or whatever it may be, but somehow these malware authors are finding ways to inject their malicious software into legitimate download servers and, and, and infect legitimate software. It's pretty difficult for a small developer who may not know enough about security to know how to protect themselves from this thing. Now, there are all types of servers, everything from a simple hosted server with some large company that hosts millions of people to individual servers on site in a company. And a lot of companies host downloads on Amazon Web Services servers. Now, I doubt that the AWS servers are getting compromised, so it's more likely that someone's figured out a password, if indeed this is the case. But I think anyone distributing malware would be more likely to target a small company who's running their own server because they clearly don't have the resources to, to know what to do to prevent this sort of attack. These are obviously the type of malicious people who know enough to be able to attack servers easily. So they're just taking advantage of the weaker companies out there. But this raises the question now, is it safe to download software? We can go to the Mac App Store and we can be pretty sure that it's going to be safe and Apple's tested the software, but there are limitations. Software that's sold through the Mac App Store is sandboxed. And what sandboxing means is that a given app can only access certain files and certain parts of the operating system. So this isn't a problem if you're downloading a text editor or a a photo editor or an MP3 converter or something like that. But if you're downloading utility software, the developers may have had to remove features from the Mac App Store version because the software is no longer able to do everything that the original version of the app could do. Well, most of the time, it's probably not a big deal, though. Um, most software really doesn't need special permission and special access to do things outside of your own user account or your your own user environment. And so probably most of the time, it probably makes sense to get that app from the Mac App Store. And that's a safe way to go. And it's very rare that the Mac App Store itself will actually get compromised where, you know, something malicious will make its way into one of Apple's app stores, whether iOS or, or Mac App Store. So in, in terms of safety, I would say that that downloading something from the Apple you know, Mac or iOS app store is 
the safest way that you can get software on on your Mac or or iOS device. So there's another type of Trojan horse that is relatively common and you go to a website and it says you need to install Flash Player or you need to update your Flash Player and you click a link and you download something and it looks like an Adobe Flash Player installer, but it's not. Yeah, and this is something that actually is really common. I've I've come across this I don't know how many times where a site will claim that Flash Player needs to be updated. And, and because Adobe so frequently releases Flash Player updates, it's something that is very believable. And so people see this message that Flash Player needs to, needs to be updated and they go, oh yeah, it's that thing again. Okay, great. And it, it's just, it's so, super easy to, to click and install. And it turns out that that's not such a good thing to do because a lot of times that's how malware will get to you. But why does Adobe need to update Flash Player so often? Well, it's because they unfortunately have... <laughs> I'm trying to think of a politically correct way to put this. Is it fair to say that Flash Player has more security vulnerabilities than any software that n normal users have on their computers? It's, it's definitely the case that... Adobe Flash Player has a lot of vulnerabilities and they are constantly updating it. At least monthly, I would say, is uh, is about how often they, they update it. And I think at one point Adobe had said that we're going to release updates to our software quarterly on a quarterly basis. And it's like, really? How, how can you how can you say that when you're having to patch your software every single month and sometimes even more often than that because of uh, of these zero day vulnerabilities that people are finding and 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 using to infect people's computers through their web browser so on the one hand we have the flash player software which is dangerous on the other hand malware creators are using the idea of the flash player software as a vector to install malware because users are so used to having to update it yeah, it's it's a, a terrible situation to to be in. So I I think the the easiest solution to this is if you need Flash Player for some particular website that you go to, and if you don't know that you need Flash Player, chances are you probably don't because fewer and fewer sites are actually using Flash these days. So the best way that you can protect yourself really is don't install Flash Player at all. If you must go to a website that requires Flash Player, use the Chrome browser, because at least for the time being, Google is embedding a version of the Flash Player plugin into Chrome. And so that's a relatively safe way. As long as you are keeping your Chrome browser up to date, then your Flash Player will also be up to date in that browser. So I uninstalled Flash from my Mac more than a year ago because I was tired of this. And as you say, I use Chrome whenever I need to go to a website that has a Flash Player animation. And I can't remember the last time I needed to. A year ago, I, I think it wasn't uncommon to still see Flash Player, but now I can't re literally can't remember the last time. One good thing about Chrome is it updates itself automatically in the background. So you don't even have to think about this. Now, is the Flash Player that's in Chrome more secure than Adobe's Flash Player? I've never understood that these are two different versions of the same software. Is that it? 
There, there's slight variations. Yeah, there's there's one that's a traditional plugin based version, and that's what you would use if you were using Flash Player in Safari or Firefox. And then there's a, a slightly different version that Google is using that's that they're embedding into the Chrome browser. Essentially, they they work more or less the same way. They'll still run Flash content that's embedded into a, a web page that you're viewing. And so behaviorally, they they act the same as each other. One important point here is that your Chrome browser will only update if you quit the browser when you're done using it. If you are unfortunately like me uh, and you leave your Chrome browser open all the time, then you're going to need to manually quit it every now and then so that it can update itself. Otherwise, it won't be able to update because the software is still running. So, so that's an important point. Make sure that you quit your Chrome browser occasionally so that it can update itself. You know, just the other day, there was a problem on my Mac. I was losing disk space, and it turned out that there was an app that was using too much memory and virtual memory, which gets written to the disk. And I use an, uh, a utility called iStat Utilities in the menu bar, and I looked at it, and there was like 20 gigabytes of virtual memory used. But I also looked at it. It had been 15 days since I had restarted my Mac. Now, gone are the days when you turn off your Mac every night, and it's very easy for people to leave apps on and to leave their Mac and just put it to sleep overnight because it doesn't use much power when it's asleep. And the Mac operating system is so stable that you can run for a month or two. I actually have a Mac mini server that I probably only reboot when there's a major operating system upgrade. Right. You can certainly <laughs> just turn off your screen or or put your computer to sleep when you're, when you're not using it. And most of the time, yeah, you, you can leave your Mac running for, for quite a long time if you've got a sufficient amount of RAM or you don't necessarily run a ton of programs at the same time or anything that's particularly memory hungry, then yeah, you could get away with that. Well, it's a good point that you made about quitting Chrome to be able to update it. I just noticed that the current uptime on my iMac is nine days, one hour and 10 minutes. So I think after we're finished, I'll restart it. It's not a bad idea to just restart every now and then to refresh things, clear out caches and stuff like that. Coming up, Kirk and Josh discuss ways you can prevent unwanted physical access to your computer if left unattended when the Intego Mac podcast continues. And if you have any questions or suggestions for topics you'd like us to cover, send us an email at podcast at intigo.com. You're obviously a Mac user who's interested in staying up to date on the latest Mac security news and issues. The best way to do that is to subscribe to the Intego Mac podcast. And there's one other thing we'd like you to do. Save some money. Right now, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get 50% savings on Intego software, including Mac Premium Bundle X9. Mac Premium Bundle X9 is a suite of terrific Intego software that includes the antivirus, anti-phishing, and anti-spyware protection of Intego Virus Barrier, home and hotspot firewall security from Intego Net Barrier, parental controls for peace of mind from Intego Content Barrier, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today, and then use the promo code IntegoPodcast at checkout to save 50%. That's IntegoPodcast to save 50% on complete Mac protection and security with Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9. It's a great time to save 50% on Mac Premium Bundle X9 using the promo code IntegoPodcast at checkout. Intego. Devoted to protecting Apple products since 1997. Visit Intego.com today. 
in the previous episode of this podcast, we talked about passwords. And it was an interesting discussion because I learned a lot from you, Josh, about techniques for making secure passwords. Passwords are really important, but, you know, there's one thing that people don't think about. Maybe they have a good password on their Mac and they're at their office and they get up to go get coffee, but their Mac screen is still right there and no one even needs a password to get into their computer. Oh boy. How do people do this? This is something that I see happen all the time where people walk away from their computer, they leave it open, they've got their email open and it's like, ah, do you know how easy it would be for somebody to come by here and just, you know, send an email from your account. <laughs> I mean, the things that people could do, they could reset your passwords. They could do all kinds of things if they've got access to your email and your computer. They could create their own user account. They could. They could create their own account. They could install software on the computer. Yep, they could install spyware. They could watch you <laughs> later on when you're back at your computer and see everything that you're doing. They could install a keylogger in your user account, and that would log every single username and password that you enter. And then the next time that you walk away from your computer and leave it on, they can just walk over to your computer and find out everything that you typed since the last time. You know, this is the kind of thing you see in movies. You've got the tense soundtrack going and someone uh, sneaks up to a computer and they stick a thumb drive in and then you get that progress bar as it's going really slow, 12%, 13%. And, and you keep cutting back to the guy over at the coffee machine flirting with the secretary and then you cut back to the person, the sneaky guy with the USB key and it gets to 99%, 100% and he pulls it out just in time as the guy comes around the corner into the cubicle and the other person's like, oh yes, I was just leaving you this report. And it may be a little bit exaggerated in a film, but it probably does happen in some cases. Yeah, there, there's no question. And incidentally, I've heard stories about, uh, I can't remember which company it was, but there's a startup company that for a while had kind of a, a wall of shame. And if you had gotten caught leaving your screen unlocked, it was fair game for any employee to walk up to your computer, send an email from your account to, to this, you know, wall of shame email address. And now your, your name was posted on the wall of shame because you left your computer unlocked. This wasn't a company you worked at, was it? No, it wasn't. <laughs> you didn't get shamed, did you? Oh, of course not. No. Okay. As you said, though, it's easy to lock your screen. And I wrote an article for the Intego blog a couple of weeks ago, how to lock your Mac screen and protect it from prying eyes. Obviously, there'll be a link in the show notes. It's it's really easy. And I have a way that I do it. And, and I'm not particularly worried about my cats coming up to my computer and installing Meowware. <laughs> but I do have this habit of whenever I walk away from my computer, I move the cursor up to the top left corner of the window. Now, in the article, I explain how to do this. There are four hot corners on your Mac's display, top left, top right, bottom right, bottom left, etc. And when you move your cursor there, you can activate certain things. So in my case, I have mine set to put the display to sleep at the top left corner. I use mission control at the bottom left, dashboard at the bottom right, notification center at the top right. Now, you may be thinking, well, if you put it to sleep, is that really secure? Well, it is, because if you go into the security and privacy preference pane, there is a setting to require password immediately after sleep or screensaver begins. So all I need to do is put the display to sleep, and when I come back, it's going to ask for a password, whether it's me or someone else. Right, exactly. And for the most part, that that's going to protect you from your casual 
would be attackers who are just going to walk by and and mess around with you or play a you know a prank on you or something like that. There there are reasons why you probably want to whenever possible secure your devices a little bit better than just having the screen locked. But but that's definitely a good place to start because that's going to keep away the majority of potential attackers or or pranksters uh, from being able to do anything with your machine. It's it's pretty much assumed that if someone gets physical access to your computer, they can do almost anything, right? Yes. If they've got enough knowledge and skill, then basically with physical access, all bets are off. So the scenario that we were mentioning in a company is essentially just someone wandering by your computer. And it could be that you've got a desk by the door and some customer comes in and and if your computer's awake, they could do something about it. In most cases, we don't really need to worry about the device being locked itself. Now, a number of computers have what's called a lock slot where you stick a cable through and you actually padlock it to a desk. And this is a good way to prevent devices from being stolen and and I think in most cases, people are worried there about the device actually being stolen, not about uh, the data that's on it. But it it would also protect from someone taking it and getting the data. Yeah, absolutely. You don't even necessarily have to lock your device to a desk. I mean, in many cases, if you've got um, a, a door that will close and lock, that's probably sufficient to to keep your device secured. Mac laptops no longer have a lock slot on them. And so I've actually seen at trade shows, there are companies that have different ways that you can physically lock your device to to a desk with some sort of um, adhesive that's very difficult to, to get off that you can stick onto your onto your computer. And so there, there are other options there, too, to, to lock your device down and prevent someone from being able to grab it and take it away. And this is something you also need to worry about if you happen to be one of those gig economy people who works in a Starbucks. You eventually have to get up to get more coffee or to eliminate your coffee. And, okay, maybe you can trust the guy next to you to keep your Mac from being stolen, but you definitely need to make sure that they can't access the display. And frankly, I wouldn't trust some stranger in a Starbucks to keep my Mac from being stolen anyway. No, yeah, I'm very protective of my devices. If if I'm going to be walking away, if it's going to be out of my sight or in in a public case like that, I I would just take it with me even if I'm walking a few feet. <laughs> if if there's other people nearby who could potentially grab it and be out the door before I can do anything about it, then yeah, I I definitely make sure that I'm keeping my device with me. So what if you're on a train or a plane? Do you worry? That's a good question. You know, I can I can see the scenario. You're sitting on a plane and Tom Cruise is in the row behind you. Uh-huh. And you go to the bathroom. And of course, you're waiting for the person inside to finish and then the next person to go. And you're chatting to the stewardess. And Tom Cruise, meanwhile, slips up into your row and your computer's there. And he slips that little USB key in and you get the progress bar, 12%, 13%. And by the time you're back, he's got everything off your computer. Well, so there's kind of a couple questions here. One is... Is it safe to check your laptop or other device in your luggage, or should you always keep it with you? My personal preference is take it on the plane with you, keep it in your possession, don't let it out of your sight. Because Tom Cruise could be one of the baggage handlers. Uh, That's absolutely true. You know Tom Cruise. (laughs) A man of many faces. Right. So I'm definitely of the opinion that that when you're traveling, it's best practice to keep your device with you at all times. If, if you're on a plane or train and you 
want to make sure that your device stays safe. If you've got, um, obviously, if it's something like an iPhone, you can put it in your pocket, of course. If it's an iPad, you know, that's a little bit bigger. It's probably not going to fit in your pocket. If you've got an iPad or a MacBook or something like that that's with you, you can put it in a shoulder bag or something like that just so you can keep it with you while you're going to the restroom or something like that. Because it's safe to assume that if you're on a plane and someone comes and sits in your seat, other people are going to see this, the, the people in the row to the side or behind or whatever, unless, of course, all those people around you are working with Tom Cruise, in which case <laughs> you got on the wrong plane, I think. <laughs> exactly. Right. So so it's probably not the best idea to ask somebody who's a stranger, oh, can you keep an eye on this for me? They may be the person who has some intent to do something else. I've seen that. I've been on trains here in the UK. When I first moved to the UK some years ago, I, I took several trains between London and York, which is in the north where I lived. And it's about a two and a half hour train ride. And several times I remember people, this is sort of early evening, so it's after the rush hour, and there'd be someone on the opposite the aisle with a computer and can you just keep an eye on this for me? And I'm like, sure, I'm Tom Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> so the short answer here is that the physical access is really important. Read this article about how to lock your Mac screen and make sure you lock it whenever you step away at your office or at home, or even if you're at a client's office on a, at a meeting or a seminar or anything like that. Whenever that screen is active and you can sit down and start typing, anyone else can do that as well. Right. That's absolutely good advice. All right. We're going to stop there. We'll be back next week with more tips and tricks about how to keep your Macs and your iOS devices secure. Until then, stay secure, Josh. Stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every episode, be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. Your comments and questions are welcome. Please feel free to send email correspondence to podcast at intego.com. We may use your question on a future episode. Links to topics and information Kirk and Josh mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where you'll find details on the full line of award-winning Intego security and utility software, intego.com.